Parenting is work, like a lot of work, and it can be easy to feel like nobody understands. Well, I am here to tell you, as a mom of four, including infant twins, <laughs> that at the end of the day, we're all just figuring it out as we go. You are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is, no, seriously, how do I do this? Hey, welcome. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm just so, I'm so grateful, can I just say, that we have the ability to meet like this. That even though the world is still wonky, can you believe it's been wonky for almost a year now? Because of the wonkiness, so many of us haven't been able to connect. But here, in this space, in this way, we can still meet together. And so I'm just really grateful to you. I'm grateful for this journey we're gonna go on today. I'm grateful for the guests that we get to speak to as we really explore what that new normal looks like for our family, for your family, for Pat Barrett's family. Because here's the thing, life just looks different. Even if you are still functioning, maybe you're even thriving, worship, school, community looks different. Maybe for you, it looks something like this. Uh, Aurelia, where's the remote? We got a... Church is going to start soon. I need to turn on the TV. Oh, there's... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why is finding the remote always a battle? All right. Um, I'm going to watch church. One second. It takes a little bit for this to load. And then when you do find it, you have to inevitably wait and wait and wait for the technology to load. Girl, is that what you're wearing to church? Just kidding. You can wear PJs to church because, you know... Hashtag new normal. Honestly, probably my favorite thing about this world that we're living in. Ah, uh, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And yep, we are still waiting. There we go. Alexa, launch YouTube. Side note, kind of totally wish I had invested in YouTube back in the day. All right, guys, uh, no toys. This is church. I know. Uh, the age-old battle. Don't bring your toys to church, even if church is in the living room. Because we, we have to pay attention because we're going to be worshiping the Lord. This is something to take seriously, okay? Mm-hmm. You guys can play um, Aurelia after church. You need to go finish the rest of your schooling that was left over from this week, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, church isn't the only thing that looks different. We're also still doing virtual schooling here. Pray for me. Then you guys can play and do whatever you want. But first, we have to worship the Lord, so... Calm down and stuff, all right? All right. You feeling calm? Yes. You calm, ready to worship? Yep, yes. All right, let's do this one. So that's what the new normal kind of looks like in our house. And maybe that's very familiar to you. Maybe it looks or sounds the same (laughs) for you and yours. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a very different situation where you're at. But I'm willing to bet it's not what it looked like a year ago. The world has changed. That's true for us. That's definitely true for Pat Barrett. He's today's guest. Now, I am so excited to talk to Pat because he wears so many hats, all of which have been disrupted by COVID. So Pat, you might know him from his songs, Build Your Life, Canvas and Clay. He also co-wrote Good, Good Father, a favorite of many of you. But in addition to being a recording artist, he is a worship leader at Grace Midtown in Atlanta, Georgia, and he is a dad. And so I am so excited to welcome Pat. Thanks so much for being here, man. First topic on uh, how do we do this is how do you record a podcast with no noise while virtual schooling in 2021 without losing your mind? 
Amen. No, seriously. <laughs> how do I do this? But seriously. <laughs> oh, okay, Pat. So, so first off, you're a dad. You're a parent. One of us. Okay. So welcome. And I, I want to hear all about your family. Tell me about your kids, your wife. What's it all look like? Yeah. Um, my wife's name is Meg. Well, Megan, but Meg. Meg Barrett. Sure. <laughs> and we have three kids. Harper Gray is nine. Crew is seven. And Cash. Cash Man is three and a half. Oh, That's wow. something else. That yeah. is so, some nice grouping. Those that's a pretty that's a pretty young family. I know. Well, you know what's I know there's so many schools of thought on this, but in my mind, like once you get into that diaper phase, and then I was like, well, I'm already here. My life is already changing like a million diapers. I would rather just keep on going, like never know what it feels like to not change diapers until it's over. Yes. No, okay. So, but some people are like, (laughs) I want to get out of this phase and get some freedom. And I'm like, then you want to get back into that? Like, that doesn't compute to me. I'm like, I'm already here. I'm already in the flow. Let's just let it ride. I love that. My, let's see, my first two are 21 months apart. So we had that, we had that overlapping diaper stage, Mm -hmm. but we, we cloth diapered those two um, exclusively. So we actually were starting to like, have to do a lot more laundry, a lot more frequently, but there is just that, that flow. But then we waited three and a half years and then now we have twins. So now we're back with two in diapers at the same time, but now we're done. So I feel like there's just two diapering windows. It definitely made things easier. Did you feel that when you had, okay, let me, let me rephrase this. Was it easier for you to have one kid or two kids? Oh, wow. Was it easier? Um, Gosh, both were so wild in completely different ways. Harper Gray, when she was born, she was a preemie. So she slept a lot. So Meg and I would still like date night all the time. And she just like crash in that car seat. Like, like our life completely changed, but not really. Cause we kind of did the same things. We were just like exhausted. And then when two, when two happened, that was definitely, that was that was wild because at the time the element of our lives that has just always been so unusual to work around was traveling and touring and and to be honest we still don't have like a rhythm like we don't have that dialed <laughs> yet because mm-hmm. it's so infrequent and unpredictable so that side of it was crazy because we we had all the normal things that everyone feels when you have two kids but added on to that when you when you travel and you're just gone and and all that weight is on Meg I mean that you know I don't think you ever get used to that which is mm. that's a hard thing to get used to anyway like single parenting on the weekend when I'm out traveling and coming back yeah um, no seriously how do so I do this <laughs> I, but seriously how do I do this um so I don't know I think I think I'd say too but I remember the the heart headspace changing the most with one because all of a sudden in our marriage, I was like, I'm not just married to Meg, my wife, I'm married to Meg, the mom, which is mm-hmm. like a whole different element of falling in love again. Like I've never known this side of her. So I think, I think even like in our relationship, Meg and I's relationship, it was one, one, the first kid that changed everything, but 
I think parenting in the wild was too. I I agree with you. I think everything, that first transition is the wildest mentally. When you add two kids that have the capacity to run in different directions, especially when you're on your own, like that's that's a game changer. But for me, I like asking this question because my answer surprised me. I thought that two was so much easier than one. And I think that because they are- What? They, I, well, no, okay, okay, let me qualify. I think that because they're close in age <laughs> and so they're close relationally and suddenly I could go cook. I could go do my stuff and they play together now. And it just takes like Got this okay. burden off of me. And I so can they, can, yeah. they can entertain each other. So I tell that all the time when parents are like, oh, I have one. I don't know if I could handle two. I'm like, honestly, you're going to get a break. <laughs> so I always am curious to see if anyone out there in the world shares. Well, we did. Me. I mean, right now, what's, what's crazy is we have rounded like some corner of kids and independent playtime. That's like, that has been amazing. Mm-hmm. We are getting like moments in a lot of them of, of like, wow, they're all playing together and no one needs us right now. And I think I always dis- disappointed myself because I, I was like way too early. I was like, I think we turned the corner and we hadn't yet. Like you get one of those <laughs> days where you're like, everything's changed and you wake up the next day and it hadn't. Um, I think we're legitimately in that phase right now, which is, it's, it's strange. It's like sad because we're not looking to have a fourth. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I think we're done with that phase of our life completely. But it's also really amazing to watch their personalities come out and how they interact with each other. And that is different. That feels brand new to us. Well, and then of course, as soon as you think you turn a corner and life is suddenly easier, COVID hits. And you you actually made a post on Instagram that uh, cracked me up. Referring to your, how do I put this? Let's see, your, your haphazard stressful, largely unproductive homeschooling schedule. <laughs> and I, I, Okay, I think I have it here. Hold on, let me just read it here. Okay, it says, my respect for homeschooling parents is through the roof. If anybody's interested, here's the Barrett Family Thursday syllabus. <laughs> 9 to 10 a.m., History of Rock 101, Community Discussion, Van Halen or Van Hagar. 11, <laughs> 10 to 11, search for the computer chargers for an hour before giving up, preach. Uh, 11 to 12, free time so daddy can have his daily short existential crisis. <laughs> 12 to 1, foraging, aka lunch. 1 to 2, same as 11 to 12. And then 2 to 3, family meeting with everyone saying, good day team, let's try to work on a few things tomorrow. <laughs> Pat, I feel seen. I feel seen. This is a crazy, oh. crazy Shift. Are you guys homeschooling full-time, virtually schooling? What's that look like for you? No, we were. So it was kind of interesting. Our kids were in two different, our two oldest were in two different schools, right? When everything shut down. And our, our daughter's school is already, all the curriculum was heavily online based. So core mm-hmm. curriculum, kind of learn at your own pace vibe. So that was not homeschooling. That, that's a part of the program she's in. And my son's school was different given he was younger. He's in kindergarten, right? But it was actually amazing watching two different educational models deal with the same problem. And one of them was seamless, which was crazy to me. The other one was, was uh, you know, let's, let's put a lot of 
expectation on parents while we figure out what we're going to do to adjust for the future, which Mm -hmm. for people who had margin for that and patience, (laughs) and I think that is wonderful. But for a lot of parents, that was like, okay, what? Like, we're already feeling the stress and pressure and reality of trying to provide and figuring out, okay, do we need to pivot? Do we have to move? Do we have to sell our house? Like, what do we have to do right now? And then on top of that, having to educate, force to educate your children to just keep your head above water and their head above water and all of it. That, that was so, um, (laughs) I mean, we were all in the same boat. So you, you weirdly felt like so connected and at the same time, never got used to it. I'm still not used to it. But right now, currently, our two oldest are doing virtual. It's like a a hybrid right now. They did part of Mm. the year in person. We can do virtual if we want. You have kind of both options that as far as like getting their schoolwork done and staying on pace with the curriculum has been really great. So even though we're doing virtual right now, like my son, Crew, is in this um, kindergarten hybrid program and he has online check-ins with his teacher and he's doing great. So it was not the case though, right? When everything happened. <laughs> to be fair, that was back in April. So I think you've probably Is it? It feels like it feels like yesterday. <laughs> no, yep. That was, apparently it was April. That's the time apparently stamp. Apparently it was almost a year ago. Wow. Oh my goodness. But no, I mean, I think that I had a lot of those same thoughts right out the gate. I'm like, man, there's a reason that we choose to be stay-at-home moms, homeschooling moms, or work away from home moms, because we can't be expected to do all of it. And yet, like, here we are, you know, now we're working our full-time jobs from home and having to homeschool. So it was crazy, but the whole world adjusted. Um, And I think that I I just, I've been amazed at how adaptable humans are. And the technology advancements that we've seen even in the last 12 months here. But you know what? Your role as dad is not the only thing that was affected by COVID. First, I want to say congratulations are in order. You actually have a new album launching today, if I'm not mistaken. Thank you. Yeah. So so you are, you're a worship leader, a songwriter, recording artist, a husband, a son, and a dad. But how has being a dad changed or has it changed who you are as an artist and worship leader. I want to hit that first. Yeah, gosh, I love that question because I I think it has changed, maybe not changed, but reinforced what we've always known to be true, which is our relationships to each other and the way we interact is absolutely connected and mirroring of the image we have of God and the way we relate to him. It's all relationship anyway. And when my, you know, my fatherhood role changed, I was like, Oh, I get it. I have a kid who doesn't realize what they doing, what they're doing right now can really hurt them or harm them. Like they're playing too close to the street and they don't realize it. They're, they're messing around with the stove right now. And they don't understand, like if you, touch that light socket with that fork. <laughs> and it's so funny because you, you at the time, you, you just wonder like how many times in my relationship, like on the faith side of things with God, is he like, oh, you don't understand what's going to happen if you, if you shoot that email off when your temper is that hot right now. Oh, you, mm. 
gosh, you don't understand what it's going to do to that relationship. If you decide to gossip about that person and get involved in their business and cast judgment on them, like you don't understand how harmful that is. Uh, you just don't know. And I think that's why when I think about more than anything, when the, the picture of Christ, like on the cross and the forgiveness, the words he says is father, forgive them. They, they don't even know what they're doing. That's what I think about more than anything, how often we're trying to relate and do our best. And when we don't allow ourselves to take a real honest look, an examination, you know, an audit of our heart, how often we can go through life not knowing what we're doing when it doesn't have to be that way. And for worship leading and songwriting and all that, what what I want to live, I want to live a life that's awake. I want to, I want to see myself and I don't want to embellish and act like it, I'm doing better than I am or I'm doing worse than I am. I want an honest look and, and I don't want self-condemnation, but I do want honest critique, you know, and in that the scriptures I think are beautiful. And so for, for songwriting and parenting and fatherhood, like I don't want to, I don't want to Photoshop it. I don't want to present something that's not, I don't want to, give the impression that life with God is easy, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. parenting with God is easy. You're like, none of it is easy, but sometimes we can make things way more difficult than, than they should be. There's this, um, sorry, I'm rambling a bit, but I'm thinking about this no proverb that is actually about, gosh, I wish I could remember the verse, but it's about a, someone who drinks too much wine is the proverb. And it says, look at the man with the red eyes and it says needless bruises, which mm-hmm. I thought was so interesting. Bruises are unavoidable, but needless ones, like the ones you didn't have to like self-inflict because there are behaviors that have just gone awry and ways of living that don't have to be that way, but you've, you've chosen it. Or I think those are the things I just want to like look at and say like, okay, are there things in my life that are ca- causing needless harm and I want to sing about those. I want those to be an honest conversation and opening a conduit of worship and relationship with God. And being a father, like, absolutely affects all of that. I'm not really interested in my songs if I'm just an absent dad, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless I'm writing a song and being honest about it. Like, hey, I wasn't here today. I was so over. Hey, I wasn't here today. So overwhelmed with work and I'm stressing out. Blood pressure through the roof. <laughs> I know I was attached to my phone all day, but you know, like I would rather do that and be honest about it than pretend. And I think yeah. parenting doesn't let you pretend. Mm-mm. Like every day. Well, and like, then kids can see life. right through it if you do. Like there's no getting it past them because even if consciously they don't interpret my dad is faking it it just gets under the yeah. surface and, and we can't be on all the time with little tiny humans that live with us to see us at our best at our worst and i think honesty is the key to parenting and i agree with you that being a parent has just shown a mirror to my life on all the ways that i needlessly bruised myself for me parenting just helped me understand how it is possible for God to be frustrated with my decisions, disappointed, maybe even angry, and yet still love me unconditionally. 
Like that love connection where I could be so frustrated with my kids. Like, I mean, they're just, and I, I don't have the fortitude of God to always, you know, do it well and be gracious. Like I get angry sometimes, but even in those moments, we just love our kids unconditionally and it just overflows. And it's such a picture of God. I just love that so much. So, okay. So, so you, you have dad as a role. You're also that artist that I mentioned. Now back to COVID, how has COVID changed things for you as an artist? Now, like we mentioned, you have a record launching today, which is super exciting. How is preparing for that album or preparing to promote it or launch it? What does life look like for you as an artist in a COVID world? Gosh, it's it's the same and it's different. Like I, I always knew songwriting is going to be a part of my life, whether or not it's my vocation, which was kind of amazing. Like I've made that choice or I think I understood that pretty early on. Like no matter what, music's going to be a really big deal to me, whether it's a hobby or or there's a path for it to be my job, you know. But I know in my own life, a lot of the spaces that most of music has happened did not exist for me. Like I wasn't leading worship on Sundays at churches last year. It was actually in our neighborhood. We have a lake out in the front of it. And we had a couple families that would go meet outside and we'd have an acoustic guitar, play a couple songs. Someone would share a word and then that'd be it. So that space now has actually feels more like home to me. You care about different things when it's just you with an acoustic guitar and there's no, there's nothing to plug into. There's no performative aspect at all. It's just a couple songs by the lake and an open heart to God. So that part of it, I have loved. Mm. Absolutely love that. It's like a return to simplicity and asking the question like, what do you actually need in order to have ongoing communion with God? Do you need all the things you thought you needed? So there's that on the record side of things and actually releasing an album and how do we how do we do this? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's, um, you know, half the fun is writing the song. I love what happens there. And then the other half is is singing it in a room with people. And that side is, at least for now, is absent for me. So it, it does feel strange. It feels like, oh, any other time in my life, this is what we do. We put out the album. We do a bunch of dates. We you know, all that. When you take all that away, it's like, okay, we put out an album and we do the same thing we've always done. <laughs> we go play a couple songs by the lake on Sunday. We we're virtual schooling, you know, but, but what it's so beautiful is um, I've had more time home than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And there have been big blocks of my life in the past that have gotten really wrapped up in this time frame so focused on it, so, you know, dialed in that the most important things get like your second best, Yeah, you know, your leftovers. And for me, if I ever thought about the deep spiritual things in life and what that looked like, what would revival look like? Like I'm literally wearing a shirt that says like revival is in the air is what my shirt says. When I think about that word and like spiritual awakening and what it would have looked like two years ago, I would have described it in really different terms than what I would now. I would have described it as songs and huge gatherings and, you know, thousands and thousands of people just weeping. And I think all those things are so true. Those are not different. Like, but my kids would say revival feels like dad being home. 
And that for me was like, just that's significant. And my metric has changed and I'm still, when touring opens up, that is absolutely going to happen. But gosh, the, the part of touring that made me feel important or made me feel like, okay, now my life's moving forward or now God's using me or whatever, like that side has been like starved in the best way. And, yes. and there's a, there's a simplicity now that, that I really appreciate and also a longing to get back out and be in a room with people. Like I have that, like I'm looking forward to it instead of like, Oh gosh, I feel overwhelmed and we have more dates coming. I haven't felt that. I'm like, Oh, I'm like really, really, really missing being in a room with people and also really, really loving being in a room with my kids. I love that you said that, Pat, that return to simplicity. It looks like dad being home. There are so many things that I don't even think we realized we were missing to the degree that we were missing them until the pandemic happened. And it's so easy to see all the ways that our life has been derailed and confused and our plans changed in a negative way. But those silver linings, those can't be discounted. And I, for one, I can't wait to see what revival comes out of this time because we don't have the crowds of people around us at concerts these days reminding us that we're part of this big global body. But it's all of those people that have been spending the last year meeting quietly by a lake or who have now been able to attend church virtually, anonymously, who may never have been willing to do that before. But now they're realizing their need for hope for God because this is a hard time and they have access to technology that allows them to dip a toe in the water where they may never have darkened the doorway of a church before. And so I, when we can get back out there, I can't wait to see all the new faces that are part of the body that weren't a year ago. It's just, it brings me so much hope. And I mean, revival's in the air. And that is that is so exciting. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. So with everything going on, you guys being home, you taking on a lot of unplanned responsibility. Do you have support nearby? Are you guys on your own out there? No, we have, I mean, we have family. My my parents are in Atlanta. Meg's parents are in Atlanta. Our oh, good. family is close. And I mean, we rely so heavily on community. We have amazing friends that that have always um, just been there for us when we've needed it. And I think, I think that's the other side of it. We always knew we needed each other and now we really know we need each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's been such a huge part of our life, especially with some of the unusualness of both Meg and I's schedule. Like I'm, I have the irregularity of, of music and the ebb and flow of, Sometimes, you know, things a year in advance and sometimes it's a day in advance, you know, and Meg is doing real estate in Atlanta. So she, she gets the urgent and important phone call. You never know is coming that can, that can, that's, it's a really demanding profession. So community and family has helped us manage it with pretty unpredictable lives on both of our ends. What a gift. What a gift. We have our, yeah. our family two hours away. So, I mean, they're accessible when we need them on the weekends and stuff like that. But man, what a gift. And so you're close with your parents. Now, what, okay, not to go too deep and like have you lay out on my couch here, but like, what did your childhood look like, Pat? <laughs> I mean, did you have a good relationship with your parents growing up? How does that look now? Yeah, I, 
I really did. Dad is a pastor in Atlanta. So I grew up as a preacher's kid. I didn't have like the classic preacher kid syndrome where you just rebellion. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I really didn't have it in that same way. And my dad is such like this outgoing, charismatic, wild guy. My mom is assist, was a systems analyst for Delta. So you had this, these two different like personalities in the house. I think that was really powerful for me because what they showed me growing up, well, a few things. One of the things I loved that they did was uh, they argued in front of each other, in front of us. Yeah. Rather, like they, would, they wouldn't hide that part of their relationships anytime there was like a discussion to be had they would have that discussion in front of us. And if they disagreed, they disagreed in front of us. And then when they settled the matter and reconciled and forgave, they did it in front of us as well. So conflict wasn't ever representative of, of negativity in a relationship, especially when two people were working to understand each other. Conflict was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I know some people didn't grow up around it. So if there's conflict, they feel like something wrong, which yeah. I never had that mentality because of my parents always modeled that for me. My dad, I have memories of my dad coming to me when I'm four or five years old and, and saying like, Patrick, I want to apologize to you. I really lost my patience and you were disobedient, but I didn't have to be, I didn't have to react like that. I want you to forgive me. So I have memories of my dad asking me for forgiveness as a kid. So there, mm-hmm. there's, there's an approachability and a, and a realness in that, that I just really appreciated growing up no one's a perfect example, but they were living examples and it gave me something to model. It's not just honesty. It's, it's intimacy in my own life. What it did for me was it freed me up to do the same with people. I do that with my kids. Like I will, if I'm impatient with my kids, I will sit down and say, guys, I'm so sorry. I've never had to do this before because I've always been patient. It's my first (laughs) time. I apologize. Just kidding. (laughs) But we have, we do have those, like, I, I'm real with them. And I'm, I'm glad that I was shown how to do that growing up or else I wouldn't, I, w- I don't think I would have had the tools to do it. Your parents just set an example for me. I mean, so <laughs> I, I do, I apologize to my kids. You know, I ask for forgiveness. I firmly believe, and I, I say it all the time. Listeners are probably sick of it. But, you know, the best example we can give our kids is not how to live perfectly, but how to fail well and how to, you know, apologize and ask for that forgiveness. But my husband and I, we value, it sounds so weird. Um, we value PDA. <laughs> okay. Like my, yeah. my husband did not grow up with that. So, you know, we'll dance in the kitchen when a song we like comes on or, you know, we'll hug, we'll kiss, whatever. My kids are appropriately like, ew, gross. But I love it, right? Like I want them to know that that is part of a healthy relationship. But the arguing in front of the kids in a healthy way I've got to say, I don't think I've ever really considered that. It's always been, if you think I'm wrong, you tell me in private. Otherwise, it's going to usurp my authority. It's going to tarnish the kid's view of me as a leader. I've never really considered healthy dialogue and conflict in front of the kids. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit with that. I'm going to talk to my husband about that. Thank you, Pat. You just, <laughs> you just taught me something. Well, Give your dad all I'm my love. I'm not sure I take my advice because uh, my kids are only nine. My well, my we'll kids see. are we'll see. five, four, and six months old. So you have more wisdom than I do in all of that. So I, okay, I have to ask though, you, you kind of alluded to this, but 
have you felt you've always gotten it right? Do you feel like you're living up to your dad's example, your parents' example with your own kids? You know what's wild? I've never really thought of it in those terms, like living up to an example. I don't think there's like a bar. I've never, I've never been goal oriented in that way. Like, I've never felt the need to be perfect. Um, I think what what I do feel is pressure in the right place. Good. And I guess what I mean by that is like, there's like good pressure and then there's bad pressure. Pressure to be perfect, bad pressure. Pressure to do your best, good pressure. You know what I mean? I know that's subtle, but anyone who's not just a parent, a human being, if you don't know how to forgive yourself, I don't know where you go from here. Extending to yourself the same grace that God gives you to to grow and learn. And one of the most wild verses in the Bible is Jesus grew in wisdom, which is crazy. (laughs) He's God, yeah. Jesus knows what it's like to be a three-year-old and learn to walk. You know, that's a wild thought. Jesus, he did not set that part of engaging in in our reality aside. Like that's one of the beautiful things about faith. And I really can't escape the idea that even God decided to experience this and grow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that is crazy. And I've seen the unbelievable power of forgiveness and the destructive power of unforgiveness. I no one's a bigger, bigger critic of me than me. I can guarantee you that. And the ability to say, okay, like I'm, I'm being formed and shaped by God. I'm, I'm in process and that doesn't make him uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I wish things looked different than they were, but that doesn't, that doesn't phase him at all. God, I wish I was more like this. Oh yeah, well, I'm not done yet. Yeah, but like, can we be a little more f- further along and like this? Yeah, but I'm not done yet. I'm not even working on that right now. Like, I think we just have a different, we have a different lens for what we think he cares about and maybe what he actually does often. I think it is such an indication of the example that you were raised with, that you answered that way, that you have the ability to show yourself grace because that was modeled for you. And I feel like, all too often, even in the church, maybe especially in the church, I, I come across people who just have such brokenness from their childhood, who are working so hard to break a cycle because they didn't have that example. Or if they did, their yeah. own brokenness does hold them to this high standard that they can never reach. They know that we're called to be like Christ. Well, Christ was perfect. And so I'm a perfectionist. And, and there's all of this garbage that we bring with us. And yet even in that, God loves us. <laughs> he shows us grace. Um, but I, I think it needs to be celebrated when people do have a better example, when people do have a healthy balance. But Pat, I would ask, what would you say for that person who maybe did have a great example in their parenting, but struggles feeling like they're missing the mark that was set for them? Or what would you say to someone who's parents are gone and they can't ask them for help. And they just, honestly, they just feel overwhelmed by this whole thing. Yeah. I think one of the things that have helped me, because I'm not immune to those feelings. Like, it's not like I, because of the example I was set, I never felt that. That's not, I wouldn't say that's true. I, I would more say I was given tools to walk through it and feel what I felt. And I think it's really Christianity is really difficult 
if it only stays in your mind and in your heart and never touches your hands. Because it's like the age old argument. Do you think your way into, new way into a new way of behaving or do you behave your way into a new way of thinking? If you read the accounts of Jesus in the gospel, he actually did not deal with people's belief first. He didn't call disciples based on their belief. He said, hey, follow me. Watch this. When someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. If someone asks for a ride, don't just take them halfway. Take them all the way to where they're going. Inconvenience yourself on behalf of somebody else. Hey, don't show favoritism when this person walks into the room. If you're talking to someone with a quote-unquote low status or low whatever, social esteem, and all of a sudden someone really important walks in, don't treat those two people differently. And when you like incorporate those practices that become habits that eventually hopefully become more natural to us, it's weird. You don't, you don't worry about things like tomorrow and you don't worry about the way you look on the pecking order of life because you're used to not taking the highest seat. You don't walk into a dinner table and take the head of the table. That for me has been like really powerful part of taking the scriptures seriously. What's going to happen when a pandemic hits and your salary is cut in half and you lose your job and all of a sudden all the things that you were attached to, you don't have the things anymore. Are you still somebody? Are you still a person loved by God? And is your identity found somewhere else? So I'm, I'm saying that because it wasn't just the modeling of my parents. It was also the teachings of Jesus and incorporating that into my life that have helped with all of those feelings. I think it's so important because that is the answer also for people who maybe didn't have a good example. It's like we we learn to humble ourselves like Christ did and to show ourselves grace when we can't measure up to the good examples that we feel that we had, but so many people didn't have that good example and we still turn to Christ and we learn from him and we get through it. And no, seriously, how do I do this? None of us really know. We're all figuring it out, but there's grace and there's freedom and there's community in that. And Pat, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your wisdom. This was awesome. I I have stuff. I'm going to leave this conversation and go implement <laughs> with my kids. And that thrills me. <laughs> That's amazing. Thanks. Congratulations on the launch of your new album. We'll be following along with that. And thank you just so much for, for everything. And I want you to go give your dad a hug for me and say that Summer says thanks for giving me permission <laughs> to argue with my husband in front of my kids. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the big takeaway here, I'd say. Yep. That's amazing. Thank you. Is it weird to say that I like really want to meet Pat's dad? (laughs) I hope you were blessed by that conversation. I, I loved so much of it. I loved, like I said, how seen I felt by someone else whose world has just been an upheaval. But you know what I really took away from that? That picture of grace that picture of flexibility and freedom that comes with releasing our expectations of ourselves. That is something that I really struggle with. I definitely have that perfectionist streak. I am recovering, but definitely not recovered from that. It's a constant battle. And I think especially as moms and dads, we carry so much pressure and we put so much on ourselves. And so if that is something 
that you struggle with as well, man, know that you're not alone, right? No, seriously, how do I do this? But here's something really exciting. I heard from Pat after that conversation that I have permission to give away 10 copies of his brand new album that releases today. And so if you want a chance to get in on that, just jump online, go to seriouslyhow.com, put your name in the running. And and while you're there, click through to our Facebook page or just search for No Seriously, How Do I Do This at Facebook. Subscribe through your favorite podcast app. Rate the show. Let us know what you think because that also lets other people find it and to be a part of this community where we truly believe from the bottom of our hearts that we are in this together. And so if you need additional support, as always, I invite you to reach out summer at seriouslyhow.com and may you never forget that you are loved and you are not alone.